In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't, be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out. I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Duberman, the news director at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the Betches Up newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and sub video contributor. Well, you do know my first question, of course. Which of you two left your cocaine at the White House? <laughs> <sighs> well, Amanda, it was me. No. Yeah, I know. I'm like, when you point a finger, there are three pointing back at you. And only one of us <laughs> has been to the White House this year. Mm-hmm. And it's not me and Elise. No. Maybe, that's why, maybe that's why I go. Here. Yeah. <laughs> she was having a little party with the coal baron. And left oh. a little bit of angel dust in the. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a real substand to pick up on everything Millie just put down. But yeah, that was definitely the story of Fourth of July. Not our nation, not the not the anniversary of our nation's independence, but the drugs found at the White House. Can I just say that it's so funny? that we are celebrating our independence from England with the scandal that mirrors England when they found cocaine in Downing Street. So it's just like how far far does the apple fall from the tree (laughs) as we celebrate our country's independence? It is very funny to like be a West Wing worker who brought their drugs with them to work, which... Okay, (laughs) a choice, certainly a choice, but like to leave white powder of any kind in a government building, it's like you are because the reason that they found it and tested it is because they were like, this could be like bomb making materials. And then they were like, oh, it's actually just coke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is what I'll say about this in defense to whoever brought coke into the White House. The White House brought the, brought this on themselves because weed, when you test drugs for weed, weed stays in your body for 30 days. So, but cocaine famously only stays in your body for three days. Mm-hmm. I, again, don't know. I cannot <laughs> just say. Everybody knows it's common but, knowledge, of course. Yeah, it's common it's knowledge. It's just scientific It's just fact. science. It's just fact. Scientific so, method, of course. Someone's going to comment like, um, actually, Millie, I, uh, blah, 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 you know, and I'm just going to say. <laughs> Find sure. her on threads. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. On threads. I haven't muted enough people yet. So I'm just like, why is this person showing up? Um, But yeah, that's what I'll say. If the White House let their employees smoke weed and that without firing them, maybe. We wouldn't have this problem of finding. Do you think you could stay up all night writing legislation on an edible? I mean, it would be some. I mean, no, it yeah. might be some. It'd be some creative legislation. My favorite part about this story is that they kept saying, like, they don't really have anything to say. All they keep saying is that Joe Biden wasn't there, as if any of our first <laughs> thoughts were. <laughs> it, it was, was 
Joe. Definitely Joe. That was Joe. Joe was feeling a little sleepy. <laughs> well, but you know, they said Joe, but not Hunter. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Exactly. Well, no, that's not funny. We love Hunter. Oh, of course we do. But it's just, you know, really the worst president to, I don't even think Hunter's been there recently. And obviously he's sober, but of course, all over Fox News was like, well, obviously, obviously the president's son had was doing blow off co- hookers no. in the West Wing. No. Number one, it could have been Don Jr.'s. Well, just left over if we're going in that direction. And number two, it's just obviously a staffer's cocaine. Yeah. We've seen the West Wing. We know what these people are like. They're moving. They're talking fast. They're walking. They're talking. It's Sorkin level stuff. Sorkin was famously high on cocaine (laughs) writing most of the earlier seasons. Well, and what I'll say is, you know, Madison Cawthorn said that he saw some Republican cocaine gay orgies. Why let them have all the fun? Is what yes. I'm saying. It's probably right? some Why Republican staffer get- during debt ceiling negotiations just just slips right out. But you know, I man, I wonder how they can even find this person. Gosh, the mortification yeah. they must feel. Just really, yeah, no white powders at yeah. all. Not even cocaine. I would be weird. I wouldn't even bring yeah. my dry shampoo to the White House. <laughs> you know? Shut that up. is so true. I mean, you know. To bring it back to policy, maybe if this administration addressed the Adderall shortage, workers would not feel that they needed to bring cocaine to the office to get their work done. FDA, that's on you. And that's the official (laughs) sub opinion about the cocaine found. Exactly. Let us have our let us have our technically legal uppers. All right. Pivoting here, we have some housekeeping. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, you've probably seen this already or if you follow Dr. Kaday. But this week, tomorrow, in fact, we are launching a new podcast in this feed. It will be hosted by Dr. Akila Kaday. Uh, she is at Change Kaday on Instagram and everywhere. She's a DEI educator. She also um, has like a PhD in public health. She just knows a lot about everything and is very entertaining uh, and engaging to listen to. And um, uh, a good friend of the SUP, a good friend of mine, and she will every week on the podcast called Soft Black Women have a guest to talk about just things that – some politics, but mostly like pop culture, some things that we might not get to, some things that she can speak to better or that she can bring in guests to speak to better or elaborate or spend more time on. Um, and that launches tomorrow and she has an amazing first guest. It's Blair Amani, who is such a get. She's Love her. Mm-hmm. Blair is just absolutely incredible. And they're going to talk about probably also maybe some July 4th aftershocks. But like I said, that will be in this feed. Just remember that it'll come out um, on Friday afternoons. But just remember that like there might be more episodes in the sub feed of us than you've listened to. If you're somebody that like takes a couple days to listen, just make sure you're checking the whole feed to make sure that you got our Monday episode, our Thursday episode, and Soft Black Woman. Soft Black Woman will be very clear what it is. It has a beautiful different cover. And uh, we'll share more information about it tomorrow. And um, I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. Dr. Kaday yeah. is uh, is amazing. Uh, something about her to give you kind of like, and she'll be fine that I said this. When we got to Sammy's last week for the, she was at the the like company day, day retreat we had at Sammy's house, which was a blast. And as soon as I get there, I say hi to Dr. Kaday. And she's just walking with such purpose, like with a hot dog. And she's like, oh, hi, just one second. I'm just going to tell the DJ not to play R. Kelly. <laughs> well... <laughs> And she was like, was no, I'm he, tell her he, he was. And she she was like, I didn't tell him not to. I was just like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fly. <laughs> wow. He I might mean, have that's been he might not have been. Work. It might have actually just been a preemptive, a preemptive warning. I will um, but this is something I'm sure she does all the time, but just very yeah. politely was like, just so you know, just so you know. And he Don't was appreciative. Play R. Kelly. 
Yeah, not, not I do for like the, the idea retreat. of just walk, walking up preemptively to a DJ <laughs> and being like, listen. Here's the list. Let's just not, let's just not even go here, here, and here. Okay, is, we're all yeah, here to have so fun. Yeah, well, when I had my the, when I had my wedding DJ, I specifically hired like somebody that's like very like LGBTQ friendly, like woman friendly, whatever that means. And and they were like, "What do you not want to hear?" And I was just like, "Just you know, like." She goes the whole roster, and I was like, "Exactly, <laughs> just everybody on that roster." <laughs> they knew. They knew what I meant. Amanda's wedding DJ famously is like the lesbian DJ in New York. If you go to any lesbian bar, because I followed her yeah. um, after your wedding, because I she DJed my other friend's wedding, and yep. I'm just like her, like shows for the week is like Henrietta Hudson. Henrietta Hudson. <laughs> um, but it's like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah. she is doing the lesbian DJ circuit. Yeah. So it was definitely and, like, yeah. this is a service that is a very unique and good service for, to be inclusive for all couples. Maybe not, uh, a service we necessarily needed, but, but she was free and she was amazing. And her name is DJ Rico from Stylus yes. Entertainment. Yes. Uh, if you need. All right. We will get to today's number. Today's number is 125,000. Why? Because that is how many years had gone by on Since this Rupert planet. Since Rupert Murdoch was born. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had that ready. Before the planet reached its hottest day on Tuesday, which broke the previous record on Monday. I think mm. the one before that was like in 2016. And the average temperature on Earth was like 62 degrees. Which, considering, like you know, it's it's winter in some places. That seems that seems like quite warm. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> half the world is winter. Famously, half the world is winter. No, Millie, only America exists. It is July Fourth oh. week. Get in line. My pronouns are USA. <laughs> <laughs> so July Fourth itself was the hottest day on Earth since record keeping began more than forty years ago. This is when people say extremely upsetting things, and you just start to see headlines like "This summer could be the hottest of your life so far, and the coolest you'll ever have again." That wow. makes oh, me God. fucking shudder with what we're seeing this week. El Nino <laughs> accounts for some of this record heat. This is a phenomenon that doesn't happen every year, but experts are saying that combined with human-induced climate change has pushed global temperatures into truly uncharted territory. More than a dozen people have died in Texas since 120-degree heat descended on parts of the state, and thousands of more, more have gone to emergency rooms. You hear a lot when this weather hits that the really dangerous part is that people have no time to cool down because the overnight highs are just so, so high. I mean, famously, I live in a very uh, old building yeah. and a lot of people don't have air conditionings and they just have their doors open all day, oh my God. which is is fine. I think it's necessary, but like, you know, it's important to be neighborly at, at this time to check on your people. Um, it's also hitting 100 degrees in parts of Europe that have just never had that kind of heat. Uh, Elise and, and I were talking about. Yeah. Believe in AC, right? Well, right. yeah, ice. that's what I was. That's what I was going to say because I was in when They're I was in Marseille last week. It was insanely <laughs> hot. It was hot to the point where French shopkeepers were apologizing for the heat, and I was like, given the way that you usually treat my non-French speaking American ass in your establishments, the fact that you're like. We are very sorry for the heat. Unprecedented. Like, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it is supposed to be really bad. And it is just really, it is funny because every time I, I've gone to Europe, it's been in the summer and every summer we're having record heat. And every time I it's make- that Cuban spice that you bring. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, but every time I go, there's always this very weird dance that like, 
Europeans will do with you where they want to talk to you about air conditioning. I noticed this when I went to Germany. They People wanted to ask us about air conditioning, but they also have, feel very superior about the fact that they don't have air conditioning. And mm-hmm. so it's this thing where I'm like, just admit you want it. Yeah. Just admit, yeah. just admit you want it. It's hot yeah. in here. They feel superior for like environmental purposes. Yeah. They're just like, we're just yeah. stronger in general. We can take it. Yeah. They feel like they feel superior for environmental purposes, which isn't wrong. But also it was very funny because like in Germany, we were there and it was record heat that summer. And that was like summer of 2019. And we were there for a comedy festival. So we were make, making friends with a bunch of different people from all around. And like the actual theater that we were doing the festival at was raising money to get an air conditioner because wow. like the infrastructure there is also like, like their windows open out mm-hmm. and not up. Mm-hmm. So you can't just like put a unit in the window the way that we can't. It's yeah. like their, their shit yeah. isn't built for that. Yeah. So everyone wanted to speak with us about AC and they would be like, but, but what about the environmental impacts? And I was like, oh, we don't. We don't it's do the that. corporations. It's <laughs> the four corporations. I'm not going to sweat to death. Yeah. You know what? First of all, I'll say as an American, climate change doesn't exist. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but I've seen snow. I I've saw seen snow. snow. <laughs> I was cold in December. I was cold. So you know what? Climate change doesn't exist. No, this is what I'll say. And this is how I sleep at night in my 63 degree room. In your Brooklyn and sheets. In my in my Brooklyn and sheets that keep me cool at night. Hashtag spawn. Um <laughs> the thing is that if you're not fucking driving, we're not sp- you know what I mean? We're not spending a lot, you know. I don't have a big ass truck that can ro- like kill a, a a child that gets a ball, you know what I mean? I I I make up for it in other ways. I eat impossible right. meat from time to time also hashtag spawn i drink oat milk oatly hasn't sponsored us yet but i'm happy to you know so you know what i'm saying and in germany and in europe especially they have the they don't have the infrastructure for ac but it's looking more and more as temperatures rise they're saying it's pretty fucking impossible to live day to day and not have ac like it's just and, and in California, they just made it illegal to have or to to rent an apartment and not provide AC, wow. just like it's illegal in New York City, where in the winter, when it gets under 55 degrees, your your landlord automatically has to heat your apartment. Otherwise, it's like not a safe living condition. People are having these discussions about mm-hmm. air conditioning, you know, so yeah. It's just happening. So I think, again, as we talk about climate impacts and stuff like that, it's like, okay, you know what? Do we have to drive everywhere? Do we need to, you know, can we walk more places? Can we ride a bike? Can we this? Can we that? Can we ride share? Can we do whatever to save cars off the road? Sure. You know me, I miss anti-car, but whatever. (laughs) No, it's really interesting to think about how, like we think a lot about how, okay, the planet is warming because of human activity. And as a result of this extreme warming, warming, much more people on the planet are going to have to engage in an activity, which is using air conditioning that also causes emissions. And there are probably other things like that. Um, But again, as we say a lot, it's like if you 
I, we can get our paper straw, but like, it's really not your fault. I was yeah, actually thinking not, to myself not. recently that I, I feel like this trend of like commenting on people's Instagrams, like really a single use plastic water bottle. Like, I feel like that has finally passed and people are finally aware where it's like, we can't be yelling at each other about this. It is, no. it is a bigger problem. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Cause like when I was having these conversations, like number one, one of the things, and Mill, you were getting at this is like, Heat is actually as dangerous as extreme heat is as dangerous as extreme cold. And the U.S. is just generally hotter than Europe. So there are parts of the U.S. that get extremely, extremely hot. So to say like, oh, you have air conditioning. It's like, well, yeah, we we need to live in our house. (laughs) And we get humid, which isn't. Humidity yeah. is not helped by opening a damn window and creating no, a little cross. It's made worse, actually. Well, I think with climate change, it's like you can always just moralize about the things. Like, like for instance, like I'm a very picky eater and it's kind of embarrassing. Like I don't like a lot of meat, but I just, if I'm out, I'm like, oh yeah, it's for, it's for the environment. So I can sound more pious than just like kind of like eating like a toddler. So it's well, okay if whatever. the Germans need to feel, need to self-soothe themselves with that superiority. Yes. I compost now. Yeah, Again, I compost. I, I use compost. the compost. So you know what? At least I it's growing my, pumpkins. Uh, yeah, At I'm least it's growing pumpkins garden. in our heart, in our yard. <laughs> I fucking put my coffee, gr- like my coffee grinds in a freezer. I can blast my AC to 60. I and can already tell. Literally, like I haven't even moved to Brooklyn yet. I just am on in my buildings, like share. And already I can tell, like there's not as much like buy nothing culture in Manhattan. It's very much like I have two picture frames. Does anybody want them? And like three people are like, yes. <laughs> Yes, I want the picture. I, I, I want them. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. All right, let's move on to main news. The gal on the tip of everyone's tongue today, it is Threads. Will Threads replace the cultural relevance of Twitter? If you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, Instagram launched its text-based competitor to Twitter last night. It's called Threads. It already has around 30 million signups, which is crazy. I mean, what's really worth noting and what uh, the point Elise made um, this morning when we were talking about it is that I think a challenge it doesn't have that a lot of the new ones do is that you can use your Instagram following. It's attached to Instagram. Your following comes over as long as they join. So you don't have to like build up that user base and start basically from from scratch. Mm-hmm. This launch was kind of serendipitously timed with Elon Musk's latest Hail Mary to drive revenue for Twitter. Although I guess there's like it's probably a never time, never a bad time to launch a competitor to Elon Musk's thing because he's like always fucking it up. But this one really was 
another level. So he initially set a new rule that unverified accounts, which now means just if you have a Twitter account that you don't pay for. So if you don't pay Twitter, you would only be allowed to see a few hundred tweets a day. And if you did pay for verification, you could see a few thousand. You can get to you know 600 tweets a day pretty quickly if you spend a lot of time on the app. Yeah. Um, and so that got a big reaction. And so he kind of like changed those numbers repeatedly in response to the backlash. People started getting their error messages. Um, and again, I think we've referred to the final nail in the, the coffin for Twitter a few times before. But based on a lot of the reactions, this seemed to be it. Um, you know, I know people like Mike, for example, still uses still uses Twitter and still finds a use for it. But he certainly would never, ever pay for it. So you, you're losing a lot of people that way. And Threads really put on like, oh yeah. did you I'm- see the Twitter outage? Yeah, no, again, as as probably one of the three who only still uses Twitter, I will say, like, 600 sounds like a lot, but for me, like, which someone says, like, I only want to see funny things. Don't add discourse. But, like, discourse is how you get. So, like, if you want to hear, like, for example, I don't know if y'all saw. This is I am now Twitter, which is expe- like I've always been the black Twitter correspondent mm-hmm. for SUP. Right. But I'm also now just the Twitter correspondent for SUP. Mm-hmm. But um, and this is this all will tie in. <laughs> But last night, a video of Kiki Palmer getting serenaded by Usher at his concert went viral because her baby daddy, her boyfriend, was like, I don't like her how she's dressing. She's a mom now. She can't be dressing like that. And yeah, everyone's face was like side eye. Mm -hmm. It went super viral. A lot of people were dragging him like, how dare you? You're not. And he's like, sorry that I want the mother of my kid and my wife. And it's like, you're not even married. All this stuff, like the things that Twitter loves to do best, which is Mm -hmm. find the main character to dunk on and everyone has their take. But reading 600 tweets can just be reading what everyone thinks about this one guy. <laughs> right. Like literally just sort literally. of one sort of scroll with your finger. That's kind of like 20. T- t- like if you think about how you consume Twitter during an award show or during a debate, exactly. you would absolutely max out quicker than you than you think. Which is the, sorry, is the benefit of Twitter. And also in a time where their revenue is down and they need more advertisers the way that they get people to buy ads is to be like, we have X amount of people spending five hours a day on Twitter. But if you're limiting the tweets, mm-hmm. then there's not going to, no it's just like, clearly whatsoever. he doesn't understand. And again, just goes to show you people who are richer are not necessarily smarter. No. And like you said, I think because Twitter had become so unbrand friendly, I think brands, I saw it last night. We're so eager, so ready. They got on. They got on threads so fast with their clearly like vetted launch plans because I think they want it to just be sort of like a, a lighter, like basically Twitter, but without all the white supremacy and all of the fighting. I don't know how you ultimately maintain that, but I mean, last night it felt you know pretty like fun and friendly. I'm sure it will turn eventually. But at least, what are your thoughts on threads? Um, well, I think it definitely has the best shot to overtake Twitter just because of that, like the power that Meta has to like seamlessly bring your following over because there have been all these other ones that are like Blue Sky, Mastodon, whatever. And everyone's like, is anyone really on those? Mm. It's really not really like there aren't a ton of people on them. So but I do think that people and I know I personally have missed being able to just like fire off like a text-based joke, like with Instagram, with TikTok, all of this stuff, you have to 
put make a video to yeah. post and to edit it, it or and blah, blah, and edit blah. it or like take a really good picture and all of this stuff. And so there's like Twitter was one of my favorite apps for a long time because of the way that you could kind of like fire something off and see what sticks. It's not something that you have to like put an amazing amount of thought into to engage in. You can, I loved watching live events on Twitter with Mm -hmm. people and like chatting through things like that. Like big cultural moments were always so fun on Twitter. And then I left because I just felt like the discourse was very toxic. And Mm -hmm. I've said it before, but like basically I woke up one day and every single thing that I saw on there was something that was designed to upset me and piss me off. And I was like, okay, this, why am I even engaging in this? Mm -hmm. So if, if, Threads can walk the line of providing that like fun space to like have text based stuff where you don't have to get fucking camera ready to engage in discourse. I think that I think people do want that. The the biggest issue is just like, can you actually get people for real using it? And then NPR talked about threads today and they talked about like the biggest thing with young people is they can't if you read. get they is they can't is the Gen Z cannot read Gen Z can't uh, read. <laughs> Gen Z can't read he said it first um, <laughs> um well it's the it's the, they called it like the crazy uncle problem which is like younger people feel like on Facebook and even on Instagram that they have to keep pretty censored because their whole family and parents Hmm. and aunts and uncles are on there. Hmm. And so that's why they're like not, they don't gravitate to those apps the way they do on TikTok because they feel like they're like, my uncle isn't, my crazy uncle isn't on TikTok or Hmm. at least like not, he's not engaging with my TikTok. (laughs) Hmm. But so for threads to be successful, it has to kind of straddle this line between like, Yes, all your friends are actually on there. So it's usable, a usable space to have a discussion, which is like the other Twitter competitors don't have. But Crazy Uncle isn't on there. <laughs> yeah, well, or you can mute them easier or something. And I, I'll finally say this, which is a really good point, which is what a lot of female creators say and like whatever is like, you know, you want to fire off jokes or you want to have a discourse or you want to do this. And the thing about Instagram or Reels or TikTok is like anything you fucking say is like, oh, uh, you look like shit today or like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, and it's like, OK, sorry. So I have to put on a whole face of makeup to make one tweet about you know, Elon Musk or and like, that's really whatever. what's been happening in the what has it been now, like six months since Twitter just hasn't been use like as as yeah. effective for people to get their content and message across is that people are trying to like adapt to TikTok. But yeah, exactly. It's like, it's so annoying though when these algorithms work. It's like on my conscience, like this could be a tweet or I can pretend to be putting lipstick on and put text on it and make it as a TikTok that will maybe yeah. do better. And it's really, and it it's takes very a silly. long time to yeah. like it takes a- so edit long. a TikTok. Oh like it, it I know, so well, long. I know, Gen Z can't read. They can edit TikToks like crazy. Quickly, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no literacy required. Whatever brain space. <laughs> I know that Gen Z can read, but whatever brain space they were using Honestly, for I reading. I listen to a whole podcast about how the way they teach people to read now is crazy. A lot of people don't know how to read properly. It's um, called, I think, Soul to Story. 
it's crazy. Anyway, but whatever, like, yeah, whatever brain space, I don't know, we used for something else, they can like edit a video fast. But mine, like, literally, my thumbs don't <laughs> have the dexterity needed to like clip the video. And then I'm always Too like, precise, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I put it up and the captions are wrong. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God oh damn God. it. And I got to take it down. It's so but much. It's got la- it, it takes it me like four me. fucking hours right, to edit. I'm going to send you both a stylus. It's life changing. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> my thumbs. Yeah. My millennial thumbs. thumbs. Yeah. My fat thumbs. I'll say this one time. I mean, again, I did that Kurt, when the, with the cat release courtesy one thing. <laughs> right. Fucking took me five hours to edit. People were complaining about how I looked. I said, like and follow for part two. I never made a fucking part two. And I won't <laughs> well, make that a is fucking audio. part two. But it's on me. But I'm like, I don't want to keep talking about this shit. No. I'm no, like, I I'm think a lot of people that. feel the same way. Even when like Instagram was pitching this to us at Betches, they were like, you know, we know celebrities don't always want to put a face on and it's clear to us they don't really understand how to just use text on Instagram stories. Um, well, I think you can definitely tell they put the charm offensive on a lot of celebrities who were definitely like at the top of the algorithm. The algorithm isn't going to be chronological. It'll be, you know, um, I don't, I don't exactly know. I guess it's similar like to Instagram. Probably likes or whatever. Yeah, I know that they want to keep it kind of like – I think that there will be news and politics on it, but in a way that's pretty good for our brand because we we don't necessarily cover – like we don't do reporting. It doesn't have to we, – we talk about hard news, but a lot of times like more of our brand is just sort of like silly memes about just sort of like the vibes of it all, um, and people seem to be liking that. So um, – Keep an eye on threads. Make sure you're on it. You have to download a different app, which is kind of annoying. And some – did you guys see the the thing <clears> – <throat> excuse me. The thing people are like figuring out this morning is that now if you delete your threads account, you delete your Instagram account. Oh, no. fuck. That's how they That's get you. That's sneaky – that's, That's how they get Zuckerberg. you. This That's is the shit you. that he does. This is That's the shit that he you. does. It's fucked up. I don't know Sneaky. how people, like, I don't know. How, one time, I, like, I was locked out of my Facebook for a few months. Like, off, locked off out of, like, my Facebook on my phone for a few months because I didn't understand how what, something worked or something. Very boomer of me to, like, not understand two-factor authentication. <laughs> And be locked out of my Facebook for five oh, months. Wow. But like Facebook controls my Tinder, mm-hmm. my um, fucking Seamless, my Spotify, my this, my that. Like everything's connected to Facebook. So it's like if you stop using that, mm-hmm. it, it, it trickles. And that's exactly what people don't like about Zuck. And I'm not saying that I'm rooting for Elon Musk to beat Zuck in a fist fight. I'm just saying. We live in I'm a betting society. On both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an un... I, I don't appreciate the choice between Musk and Zuck. I will reluctantly choose Zuckerberg just because I do feel that since 2016, he has adopted a policy of shutting the fuck up about politics well, and not saying nothing. Well, I'm sure he's mach- he has machinations in the in the background of everything, but I appreciate the Taylor Swift school of pretending it's not happening. Yes, I appreciate a billionaire who at least will shut the fuck up. Amen. Amen. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. 
You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. All right, for the next main news topic, we're going to take a little break from politics and we will instead embrace some levity and just talk about the intersections of misogyny and ageism in a professional setting. Amazing. So, new findings, <laughs> gorgeous. Light, light. Oh, news. Take a deep breath. <laughs> new findings were recently published in the Harvard Business Review with the headline take, take in this headline Women in Leadership Face Ageism at Every Age. They found, quote, that any age can be stigmatized by supervisors and colleagues when we're talking about a woman or femme-identified person. So they surveyed 900 women, and here were some trends that they found. And this related mostly to, as that headline suggests, like trying to achieve leadership positions. So having a career where you're like every – you're really trying to kind of rise a ladder. So they they broke this up between like older women, which was 40 to 60, middle – or older women, which was 60 plus, sorry, not 40. <laughs> older women was 60 plus, middle age was 40 to 60, and then young was under 40. So we're all young. Look at us. They surveyed 900 women. And so while men are seen kind of in society and in the workplace to like acquire wisdom as they age, especially into their 50s and 60s, women felt like their experience was kind of like diminished, uh, that their ideas like were seen as stale and that they were often encouraged to seek out fresher ideas and work with younger employees. Like, Whereas like you think of, you know, so like what what is power in the workplace associated with? I think a lot of times it's like a like a gray-haired salt and pepper kind of aging man at the top of his game whereas women felt like the mentorship for them as they got into their 50s and 60s just completely went away. Uh, they felt like they were passed up for promotions because leaders felt like they needed another generation's perspective. So like right as you get to an age where you are seasoned and you have the experience for a leadership role, women reported being told that they needed to sort of like embrace newer and fresher ideas and they didn't feel like their male colleagues got that feedback. Women in certain fields also said that when they reached the age and experience where they would typically be like, again, reach those highest leadership jobs, just no mentorship. Nobody's really interested in helping them. Whereas for men, again, they're seen as the top of the game and they're really nurtured. As far as for younger women, they reported being called pet names and said that they were often mistaken for interns or support staff uh, much more frequently than their male colleagues. And this happened more often to women of color. One 39-year-old woman said somebody literally patted her on the head. No, which is crazy. Women in their 30s and 40s also talked about how they feel that they weren't promoted or invested in because company leaders suspect they will leave long-term to start a family or be too distracted to perform at high levels. That's something that it's like, I'm in the age where that happens. I know I work at all-women companies, so it's not a factor, but it's just like crazy that that still happens. You can read a lot of studies about how like in certain countries that provide like a great deal of parental leave, especially for like maternity leave, it can affect the workplace because it's like the employers know that women are entitled to take a year off. And I think that's why they ultimately in implemented like the mandatory 
uh, paternity leave too, to kind of like mitigate that. Women this age, I so I put a thread up this morning asking if women had ever like what what kind of gendered comments they'd gone to work. And somebody said something interesting. She said that she really didn't like being referred to as like the mom of the workplace. And mm. that's so true. Like you're the one that has to get everybody's cupcakes on their birthday and you have to deal with the emotional labor and just like not just considered a professional person at their job and that's their only priority. Women also, of course, just like everywhere at work, face a higher expectation than men to look young and attractive. Society punishes us when we're not everywhere. So I would summarize the findings just by saying, you know, surprise, surprise, the gender stereotypes that we face at various ages in our lives, they manifest at work as well. And for everyone surveyed, they felt that there was always an age-based excuse to not take women seriously, to discount their opinions, or not hire or promote them. This is something I have not spent a lot of time thinking about, but as you look at, you're sort of like, yes, of course. I think because we're just like, we don't even think about it anymore. Did you do you guys have any personal experience with this or relate to any of the things that the surveyed people were saying? I feel like well, I haven't experienced a lot of this just because I have like a non-traditional job that doesn't require me to be in like an office. Every single thing that you listed has happened to my mom in her career because she is in corporate the corporate world. That's where she's always lived. And um, she's told me so many stories when she was first pregnant. She had a boss pull her in and be like, so are you really going to come back? Or like what the actual deal is. She has gotten, she's gotten promoted and then had a male colleague basically insinuate like, wow, I'm surprised you took that job considering all the travel. Is that going to be okay with, your kids, even though he had the same job mm-hmm. and two kids the same age as me and my mm. sister. But it's, but he can be mm-hmm. away from his kids, but she can't. Like, she has hit the glass ceiling on so many levels. She's always kind of been in this state of like, you reach, you get promoted or whatever, you reach a new position. But you, as the woman who's new in that position, are always the one who's on the chopping block. Like, they always let you get to the place Mm -hmm. where there's the highest turnover. You're the first person fired when they're making, when they're like, "Mm, the company is actually making a change. Or we've got a new CEO, so he's going to bring in his people. And, like, I feel like she was always perpetually getting to the level of, like, you're an executive technically, but you're the executive that gets fired the moment the company's making changes or laid off or whatever. Like anytime, anytime the company is making a change, you're on the chopping block. You're per, you're mm-hmm. going to be scrutinized in a different way. And I know that when she was younger, like first getting into her career, she dealt with a lot of just like outright gross, weird sexism Mm -hmm. from being a cute girl at the office or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then as she became a mother, she started to deal with a lot of weird insinuations from male colleagues about like if, if she was like, if she was being, if, if her success in the workplace meant that she was actually a bad mom you know, yeah. like that was kind of the way they would always insinuate it is like, wow, you're doing such a good job. You got that promotion. How are your kids? And that is yeah. in, a, in a way age related because like yes. a lot of time that's happening between the ages of like 20 to, to 50, I feel like is when 
women in this country of kind of like in the main child rearing, like there's, like you said, like, and you're like women in like their forties. Like, I feel like that's when parenting gets super intense. If you have kids that are like in elementary school and middle school and have so many like emotional things going on and so many activities, that's, that's all age correlated. And you're right. That's also when you're really trying to like look for mentorship and really trying to get people to invest in you. It's really interesting to think also how you said like age impacts. So normally you're further along in your career when you might get that executive level promotion, but then you're still first on the first on the chopping block. This is so triggering to, you know, before I made my like transition into freelancing mm-hmm. and doing comedy full time, um, I've worked in many, many different companies, marketing agencies and stuff. And this is so tra- um, triggering because it just reminds me of so many experiences I've had, you know, and it is this real dichotomy of like what it means to be a woman in the workplace. And, you know, it's just like we talk about like, all these messages we got as young girls of like, you can do it all and you can have, you know, but like the realities is like d- l- labor isn't divided equally in the home. And then also at work, there's just really no age where you're fully respected or all that, you know, and when you were talking about things that are race related, you know, I just remember when I, my first job, I was um, working as a receptionist to this really big, big corporation. And I remember I was like 23 or something. And, you know, I mean, just over a share, I was a virgin and um, whatever, like, but um, around Mother's Day, everyone's like, so what are you going to do with your kids? What are you going to do for your, with your kids on? And I'm just like, uh, (laughs) I'm so far away from that. (laughs) Like I would be so confused. I'm like, kids, like, why do you think I have kids? Like, and multiple people would ask me, you know, and like those kind of things. And, um, something like, I just remember too, this also is related. I, as a, you know, I studied abroad in Japan and I studied Japanese and that led me to work for a lot of Japanese countries. I mean, companies and, um, Japan, especially, you know, in a lot of East Asian countries, you know, there's sexism, sexism everywhere. And some, some cultures and some work cultures are a little bit more pronounced than others. Uh, and I feel like the same thing happens in the U S too. So, well, I'll say that, but like specifically with my experience with Japanese countries, like, you know, the work life balance is, is really not great. And it's expected that you're supposed to like slave away at these jobs and be there from like 7am to 10pm every day and like really, really work. And like all my bosses and my colleagues were like that, but it just really lends to itself of like, they all have stay at home wives. So like, you know, they're okay with working all these hours because somebody's at home doing their laundry, you know, washing, you know, like uh, making sure they have breakfast. So I just remember one of my bosses, uh, you know, a few years ago, you know, a few years ago when I was like 24, 25, he would make fun of me for eating breakfast at work. Like, cause I would have like powdered oatmeal and I would, you know, put it hot water and just eat it mm-hmm. at my desk. And he's like, why don't you eat at breakfast at home? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't have a wife making me breakfast before I leave, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. like, um, it, it, it did like encounter, I did encounter a lot where it was like people, um, sometimes I was like the most well-versed and even in companies where like we were making products for women mm-hmm. and I was, you know, and I was the only woman in the room and, and the, you know, the only person in the target demographic and still like, it was if, crazy to have my perspective at all. So, um, I just feel like there's so many intersections and there's so many, uh, and, and you know, also too at like, um, 
when I started working for like startups, it was the same thing. There's always layoffs and the people who always get laid off are the women of color, the women, the queer people, older women, older women. Like, yeah, they're the first to go in every fucking round. I would have it was crazy to me. Like I worked so hard to get in my like one of my first startup jobs at this like social media marketing agency. And, you know, I was working with people who literally graduated college and went straight into that job. And like they didn't listen to me like I would I would say like oh you know I was technically above them and be like hey can you finish this report for me they wouldn't give a shit like they because they knew that I didn't get the support that I you know so and a lot of my reviews were like oh yeah we felt like when you first started here you had a really bad attitude you know it's like all these racially coded Mm -hmm. things that come with being a woman so this is all again very triggering and very thing and it just reminds me of that UN study of like 300 years, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, great. It'll take 300 years to achieve gender equality. And that seems like, oh, what, how? And then it's like, oh, yes, by the way, on top of all the other factors that people face being for being discriminated against. Also, there's just no right age to be at work. There's no right, there's no right age. And again, like, you know, right. We're allowed to apply for jobs. We're allowed to go to college. We're allowed to get credit cards. Right. And that's a big stride. But like, you know, we're not getting it's all these other things of like we're not getting promoted we don't have the you know the things that you need to be successful at these things there's still all these hurdles that we need so that's the 300 years (laughs) and the article kind of like talked about okay what are their solutions and they're they're kind of boring they're just sort of like making sure to include you know ageism in kind of anti-discrimination and anti-bias training at work like show people how those biases actually come into play like are you giving a 45-year-old man more work because you assume that he can stay late and you want to get the 45-year-old woman home to her kids? Even like, is that something you're thinking without even um, maybe even thinking it subconsciously? So the the suggestion was that has to be um, integrated more and more. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we have one story for women's rights and women's wrongs today, but you know, I don't know which it is. I need you both to tell me. There's a okay. lot happening here. This is not a highbrow story in our podcast. Here's a sentence for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm, I'm so Day. Aubrey O'Day revealed on Michael Cohen's podcast that the first time she had sex with Donald Trump Jr. was at a gay club bathroom. This is a game of Mad Libs. I never wanted to play, but here we are. I know. I'm like, we can play Mad Libs with this too. Mm -hmm. Podcast Mad Libs. Podcast Mad Libs. She said Don Jr. was, I guess they were like talking 
And um, this was all while he was married. And she said on the podcast that I don't know how this came up, but she said that Don Jr. was so desperate to see her that he came to a party she was hosting at a gay club in New York City. I don't know which one. Uh, she decided to tell the story after seeing anti-gay posts on Don Jr.'s social media. Um, I don't know when she first started looking. And she told Michael Cohen, <laughs> I looked at his Instagram for the first time in years, okay, and saw all kinds of jokes belittling the gay community. And I thought to myself, this is upsetting to hear people. And I thought to myself, man, you were super comfortable in that gay club. In fact, so comfortable that we ended up going to the bathroom and for the first time had sex in a gay club bathroom. She alleged, alleged is the verb there. So, you know, I, I, I want to stand her for, you know, blowing up John Jr.'s spot here, but I also think it was a woman's wrong to touch that man. Where do you yeah. fall? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's a massive L to be Don Jr.'s ex. Mistress, um, ex-mistress, ex-side bitch. Like that's that's really an L that's hard to come back from. But this particular, if we if we zoom in on just this particular action of revealing this, I will say it is a women's right under the umbrella of the ultimate women's wrong of absolutely. <laughs> It's like it's like an episode of Top Chef where they have to judge them just for just for that episode based on no prior context. Mm -hmm. This is this is a woman's right. Honestly, would have been a better woman's right. I mean, granted, I didn't occur to me to pitch her, but you could have gotten this on our podcast. Could have gotten that press yeah, for the Benjamin yeah. podcast. But I'm Maybe also like, what is this Michael Cohen podcast? Because I'm fascinated. I'm like, is it just him spilling the? I don't know. It's called Maya Culpa. It might be. That's I'm like, very funny. Honestly. Go off, Michael Cohen. He's got I want not hear- a thing to lose. I know. I mean, like, he's already spent time in jail. Mm-hmm. Do I want to listen to Michael Cohen's podcast? Absolutely not. Would I listen to a recap of Michael Cohen's podcast? We did iconically have his daughter on the podcast once, and she's um she's a very smart person. I she's know. Great. I felt so bad for her. Yeah, that was like tough hearing to her story. Like, yeah. damn. But, you know, sometimes your dad's do embarrassing things and we yeah. don't have control. Like having a podcast. Yeah. yeah like having a podcast talking. Yeah. You, can you imagine your dad on a podcast no. talking about talking with Aubrey Day about having sex in a gay bathroom? Um, and also, like, I guess I'm just like, OK, Aubrey, like. This isn't necessarily like the bit. I don't know. I'm like. That doesn't make him gay or something. Like, like, yeah, I am like, like, I don't really know. The hypocrisy level isn't actually that high to me to be like, he had sex with a woman in a gay club. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But I guess and it's he, just I like, I think we're just so really, New York that it's like everybody, you go to a gay club on a Tuesday night. But I guess for him, if he's like, oh, drag is grooming. And she's like, yeah, well, we fucked at a gay club. So you weren't that worried. Well, you know, anybody with critical thinking skills knows that the Trumps and most of the Republican elite are cosplaying as these super bigoted people when really like to exist in any major metropolitan area or to have to exist in any elite space, you do have to be okay with gay people and like so true people you know what i mean just to be a person yeah to be a person having an impact on society you're just simply not hanging out in rooms with simply white straight cis people well they were originally they were originally just like rich new york socialite people exactly so in when they were in which is what capacity he was in then so when they were doing that yeah i'm sure you know tiffany had her gay friends i'm sure ivanka she still does yeah i mean i'm sure 
Don Jr. and Eric were like personally homophobic in between themselves, but pro- could be around gay people. But like, like you said, it's a lot of these like socially conservative views that they have are just something they've put on because they want power and this yes. is their path to get it. Totally. I'm like, I don't want to deny that they're probably homophobic, but I'm just saying they're probably in order to exist in the spaces they have and racist too. But I'm like, in order to exist this, in the spaces they have, they are not as racist and homophobic as they say they are. And as their followers are yeah. because they can't enjoy anything. They can't go to a basket. You know what I mean? Like just point blank, but maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and Donald Trump used to be a pro, uh, pro-abortion and has said it many times. I mean, he said that he suggested they abort Tiffany, so he definitely (laughs) he said that publicly. So, um, like... Lots of tea on the Donald Trumps today. A lot of... I do... Like, a lot of their... Yeah, the socially conservative beliefs are... I mean, obviously, they didn't have strongly held anti-racist or pro-LGBT beliefs if they could just throw them away to, like, become powerful. But I don't think that those things were ever actually motivating for them, though I do think Donald Trump actually does hate immigrants. (laughs) Well, immigrants of color, not... Donald Trump did famously take out a full-page ad in the New York Times asking for the now-exonerated five to be what, just like given the death sentence, the death penalty, and now Yusuf Salam is going to be a New York City council member. Yeah. I do think, like, he, Donald Trump, is pretty racist. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go yeah. out and say, I think Donald is Trump that, is racist. Yeah, no, yeah, Ku Klux Klan rally, um, his dad was found in the rally, like, and arrested at some shit. Donald yeah. Trump's grandfather or dad. I think the that. kids yeah. are, were probably less personally motivated by racism, though... Again, how not racist are you if you're willing to become racist just to be powerful people? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, I don't think that racism was like a motivating factor for them or anti-gay shit was like a motivating factor for them until they joined this right wing ecosystem of Breitbart bullshit and whatever. We'll end on a, believe it or not, a positive note with our men okay today. We need this to go in a positive direction. We did have a negative one as well, but uh, we're running out of time, so we're going to take the the positive one. We did a lot of negative stuff. Exactly, exactly. Not me. Goat's milk latte drinking. M&M's will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character isn't unappealing. Avocado toast eating insiders only. That does not lend credibility to your argument. It makes you look mean. So Tony Evers is in the headlines. He's the uh, governor of Wisconsin for using mm-hmm. his veto powers to extend public school funding by 402 years. But the the buzzy bit is how he did this. He did it with a literal stroke of a pen. I'll try to explain this like verbally, but you kind of got to see it. So the legislation raised per student funding for the 2024 to 2025 school year, which was written in the legislation as 2024-2025. Evers used his veto pen to strike out a few numbers in the dash to guarantee these increases actually through the year 2425, so 402 years. This ability owes to the partial veto power outlined in Wisconsin's constitution, which has actually been limited to not include letters, but he just was like, this is the energy we need. He just took his pen and he crossed out uh, a few numbers and a dash and got, basically it's like, 
every kid will get $325 more in Wisconsin for the next 400 uh, years. And I don't believe that if, if the legislature doesn't have veto power, then it will ultimately go to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which as we know, because elections have consequences, uh, does skew liberal. Evers is a former public school educator who served as the state superintendent before becoming governor in 2018. And also he is governor of a state with a gnarly, nasty Republican state legislature. So yeah. that makes that makes this energy just like even more satisfying. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I would say this man is more than okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially like with the attacks to public schools that's been happening, you know, that's been like a Republican, I would say C plot or B plot is like, because of course it was like anti-abortion and then it's like anti-critical race theory, but it's all like, you know, under the guise of like, you know, turning, closing public schools and making them into charter schools and banning books in public schools and doing all this shit. So it's really cool to see a Democrat really take a strong stance against protecting public schools for 400 years when in the back of my mind, I'm more, you know, a lot of people are worried that it's going to take 20 years to fuck up public schools at this rate. So it's very cool. We love progressive legislature like this. And this is the exact shit going back to our, our episode on Monday Monday. when we were talking about Millie's always talking about how Democrats need to play offense, how we Mm -hmm. need to like, get creative, get serious with the shit that we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is the type of stuff that I mean by that. Like, Republicans are always Always. fudging around with rules, fully breaking rules Mm -hmm. to get their shit entrenched (laughs) in our systems for so long. And like we talked about on Monday, we've criticized Joe Biden for being like, I will do this little incremental thing and hopefully Mm -hmm. it'll make it through what is very obviously a compromised judicial system and da da da. When actually what we need to be doing is being like, actually, I just made the budget for 400 years because (laughs) technically I can and let's go. You can go go cry about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. 400 years. Do it. We don't need, yeah, we don't need our democratic officials like recusing themselves because their distant (laughs) cousin's friend once bought a joke stock at Disney. You know, that's the kind of shit that the Democrats are doing right now. And we need more. No, fuck it. We're funding this for $400. Listen, being very years. right, being mm-hmm. very liberal with your interpretation of the rules is fine to the extent that the difference is that the Democrats generally do it to help people, and Republicans well, are doing it to hurt pretty much pretty much everybody. Yes. and this man just wants kids to be able to have like cost of education and cost of living increases as far as it goes for school for the next four hundred years. So, king behavior, Tony Evers. Mm-hmm. This is the shit that we're looking for. That is our show for today. And remember to look out in the feed for Soft Black Woman tomorrow with Dr. Akil Kadeh and Blair Armani. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamarias. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.